Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day again. I was reminded uh, that I was a father at 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock this morning, and so it was a good start to the day. Um, But anyways, uh, today we are not necessarily talking about a Father's Day, typical Father's Day kind of sermon. We are talking about the Father, God, um, but we're talking about it in one of our misconception titles um, based on tithing, giving. Um, And so today is uh, a sermon that's based on money, and so obviously this is one of those popular ones that everyone loves to just dive into and, you know... Um, kind of figure out what does it look like to to do with money. Um, go ahead and put our cards out there on the table. We're not uh, a church that's like, the more you give, the more you'll get, you know, kind of thing. So we're just going to kind of lay that down and, and just say that, you know, you're not going to walk out here being promised that you're going to become wealthy because of your generosity towards us. Um, but we are going to talk about um, the principles that God has ordained within himself as a father who is generous, um, as a father who does give. um, And and because of who he is, the church that he is building and the church that he is creating reflects and imitates the father. It's been watching him. It's been learning from him. It's been seeing him and how he has responded to his people And because of that, that has produced some things that we're going to look at in Scripture that are an overflow, that come out of the character of who God is becomes our character as well. To where we begin to do the things and be the things that God is himself. And one of those things is the fact that he is very generous and that he is very giving and that he blesses and that he he wants to do those things and that he delights in those things. And so this is not going to be one of those sermons that if you do this, this will happen to you. Um, or that the more you do this, the more this will happen to you. Um, it's just not the way that it works out. Um, and that's not ultimately biblical. But there are certain principles that God has provided for us that we are able to live in that do have tied within them God giving and blessing us receiving And at the same time in us receiving, us also being able to release and give and be generous towards others because of what God is doing for us and what he's doing to us and what he's doing in and through us. And so there is kind of an aspect in which God gives in order for us to give. We receive in order to be able to release and in order to be able to give out towards others. So there is going to be language that we'll use that sound like God will bless me in order for me to bless others. But it's not ultimately about me being able to give so that God will bless me. But rather it's on the flip side, because God has blessed me, I'm then able to be able to give and be generous and to be able to focus on that rather than the kind of opposite flip side of it. Um, and so this idea, kind of to, to the misconception is to tithe or not to tithe. What is really the idea going around this, 
this big question. And, and a couple of questions I'm going to ask are, when it comes to tithing, some of the questions that are often asked are, do we tithe gross income? Do we tithe net income? What if we're in debt? Do we take that into consideration when we're supposed to pay off debt? Regards to giving and being generous. Should we give 10% of everything that we own, including Christmas and birthday gifts, um, tax refunds, raises that we get? Do we add those things into the 10% that we give? Where did 10% come from? And if you cannot give with joy, should you just not give at all? These are a lot of questions that tend to come up when talking about this issue. And just so you know, I'm not going to answer any one of those questions that I just offered to you. Um, but rather, I'm going to jump into some principles that I think will help guide you in your relationship with God to determine what you are to do with what He's blessed you with. Because again, this is not going to be a one-size-fits-all type of sermon. So, beginning with just the idea of tithe. Where does the idea of tithe come from? The word tithe is derived from the word tenth. And Israel's, um, this was kind of going back to Israel's forefathers. They had long practiced a tradition of giving 10%. This was even before the Old Testament law came into existence. There was a practice of giving 10% in Genesis 14 and also in Genesis 28. Before it was then actually instituted as a command at Mount Sinai. And we see that in Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy chapter 12, chapter 14 and chapter 26. All of those talk about the commands of God to his people to give 10%, to give a tithe or first fruits, a lot of times they would say. Old Testament giving was diverse, however. Israel was to give sacrifices. They were to give free will offerings. They were to redeem their firstborn people and animals and pay various taxes on those things. Among other things, the 10% tithe on harvest and flock was simply just one aspect of the diverse gifts required by them under the Mosaic Covenant, under the law that God blessed Moses with to be able to give to his people and say, this is how God has called us to live under his umbrella of sovereignty. Some even estimate that as you add up all of their tithes that they were commanded to give, it wasn't just 10%, that it was actually upwards of 25 to 30% of their income was required when considering the various festivals and offerings that were present in their day and age. So this idea of 10% isn't just necessarily an Old Testament ideology. It was actually much more than that if you were to go by an Old Testament, Old Covenant view of giving. Now, I don't remember many sermons from my childhood, one, because I wasn't raised in church, but I do vividly remember um, one of the first sermons that I ever heard on giving or tithing, and it actually came from Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, where it talks about failure to tithe 10% of your income was equal to thievery. So my kind of first forming understanding of giving in the church was if you don't give you're stealing from God like that was kind of the foundation for me and so it was kind of at that point like I better give because I don't want to be a thief I don't want to steal but is this the case for us today is 10% still required and expected or has the revelation of the gospel clarified how we are to think about giving has Jesus coming and in the person and work of Jesus Christ, has it not 
changed what God's commanded in the law, but has it brought clarification for us on what he's actually um, not only expecting, but expecting in a way of, I want to bless you with this act of grace that I'm providing for you. And so there's some, there's some instruction that he's provided for us. So does tithe carry on into the New Testament, the New Covenant? Beyond mention of tithing in a parable, which was in Luke 18, and a description of Abraham's gift to Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7, tithing is only mentioned in two parallel passages of the Gospels. It's mentioned in Matthew chapter 23 and also in Luke chapter 11, both talking about the same parable. The New Testament never commands the tithe, but the parable gospel account assumes it. So whenever it's talking about in the New Covenant a parable, it's assuming that whatever was taught in the Old Covenant is continuing on in the New Covenant as Jesus is now basically giving an illustration for a principle that God has ordained that is good, right, and holy. So he's essentially saying, like we covered a couple of weeks ago when it came to Jesus coming to fulfill the law for us, he didn't come to abolish it, but he came to fulfill it in his person and in his work so that it continues on, but he's already met the requirements on our behalf. So then, if he has met the requirements on our behalf, how does that then reflect within our lives on how we are to go about giving, knowing that Jesus has already given given everything that we are ultimately commanded to abide by. How does that relate with us? As with each and every element of the Old Testament, we must read through gospel-informed lenses. We don't live in ancient Israel and thus must not apply the prescriptions of Old Covenant as if not living in the New. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ has fundamentally transformed how believers relate to the commands of the Old Testament. And if you want more information on that, go back and listen to last week's sermon on how we are to abide by that. But Jesus changes everything by exposing primarily motivation and intent. Motivation and intent. And so what we're going to kind of, as I move through this and as I read from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, you're going to see language that the new covenant that the Apostle Paul is using when referring to the idea of tithing or giving, that he referred to as an act of grace. An act of grace. So Jesus exposes this as a motivation from within us that is meant to be an act in response to a receiving of grace on our behalf. Because we've received grace, it produces within us a response in which we now steward the resources and blessings that God has given us in such a way that not only are we, yes, giving to God, but we're giving to a mission that is then blessing others just as God has blessed us. It's moving us more towards uh, less about what we can do with what He has blessed us with and how we can use that towards others to be able to meet their needs and to be able to love and to be able to see the gospel of Jesus Christ continue to be able to expand from here forward. I can almost hear Christ whispering, you've heard it said, give your tithe 10%. But I say to you, and then he goes on. And when I, when I feel him teaching is now through the Apostle Paul and what Paul is instructing the churches to do with their resources and their money 
is I believe what Jesus has ultimately fulfilled for us in his person and work. And so this is going to be fun. We're going to open up 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to read two chapters of the Bible here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have a Bible, open it up, turn it on. Turn to the page, scroll to the page, whatever you need to do. This will not be on the screen, so I want you to see this. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hard back black one around you. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one with you. It's our gift to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm going to read through literally two chapters here, okay? So I want you to follow along with me. Two chapters. We're going to see Paul's instruction to a church and to really a region of churches, the Macedonians. Um, He's instructing them in a couple of things. So I'm going to set it up for you to kind of understand the context here. He's teaching this church that is being very generous with their resources in a season where they did not have the means to be generous with their resources, but yet they desired to be generous. So now he's instructing them on how to be generous, what they're to do with their resources um, when it comes to specifically dealing with money. This, this entire chapter, when you talk about the, them, uh, when he refers to the gift, he's referring to monetary resources that they had to continue to participate in the mission of God. So the Macedonians are a region of churches, and this is really looking at the second missionary journey of Paul. So as we are in our Acts study, second missionary journey of Paul going out to Macedonia, the Macedonian call, this is now on the backside of that. The churches that have been planted now want to participate in the ongoing planting of more churches, the ongoing advancement of the gospel, and all of the churches up until this point have all participated in the giving and receiving of resources and needs, primarily monetary, where they were then devoting those to the apostles so that the apostles could then distribute them for the ongoing meeting of the needs of the saints as well as the planting of other churches. Getting the gospel to spread and ultimately, as Paul is longing for, getting it to Rome, which we will see when we get to the end of the book of Acts. So this is now these churches basically saying, hey, we want to get in on this global participation of giving of our resources in order for the gospel to spread. How do we go about doing that? So Paul is now writing them this letter to be able to let them know how they can go about being generous. So there's a desire and a deep affection within them to give and be generous that only the gospel has produced. Now he's instructing them. That's very important for us because, again, what you've probably heard many times preached in a lot of churches is there's a command behind this that if you don't give, God will not give to you. That if you don't bless others, God will not bless you. That if you don't blah, 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 he will not provide for you. And so then that kind of gives you this this weight and this burden that, well, if I want my bills met, then I got to make sure I tithe to the church. Or if I want to make sure that I get to um, receive at some point, then I got to make sure that I give to others first. And this is first and foremost understanding that this church has received the gospel. They've received Jesus. And because they've received Jesus, who is the full representation 
of the generosity of the Father giving His Son to meet every requirement on our behalf. This church doesn't have to do anything to try to earn that or to try to receive more. They've been blessed in Christ with every need that they have ever needed. Because of that, it is produced within them Let us give because we have received full. Let us be generous. Please teach us and instruct us on how we can free ourselves of materialism and and get beyond our means to be able to just give towards the mission of God and to be able to give towards others who are in need around us. And so we're going to read this so that you can see this play itself out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. This is Paul to the churches in Macedonia. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I I love that just right out of the gate. They're in a season of extreme affliction and extreme poverty Yet out of that has overflowed a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means of their own accord. No one commanded them to do that. Of their own accord, they agreed one another to say, we're going to give beyond our means. Begging us, now this is the church's begging Paul, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The relief of the saints is this global partnership of the churches giving to the apostles and to the leaders and to the elders this, this mission of how can we give in order for this mission to continue to go forth. The relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to, but to prove by, by the earnestness of others That your love also is genuine. You're doing this out of genuine love for the saints and for the community and for the people around you that you want to give. Verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Think of that in terms of salvation, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become his righteousness. Now he's taking that to show the implications of that. He who was rich in all wealth, in all materialism, he who owns a thousand cattle on the hill, he who owns everything, he who has created everything, he himself has come down and, and literally entered himself into poverty So that at the same time, he might then be able to distribute all of his wealth to the churches in order for the churches to then be generous to their communities. And in this matter, I give my judgment. 
This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So not only did they feel that they needed to do it, but they had this deep desire, this longing to do it. So now finishing doing it as well, so that so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. What he's basically saying there is, is among the churches and among the communities, because there was this, this across-the-board agreement that we are to be generous with our resources, there would never be anybody in need. That those in seasons of abundance would be able to give over in abundance to those who had need in order for there to be fairness on, on all counts. And then over here, if they grew into a season of abundance, and over here they were in a season of lacking, that there would be over in abundance where they would be able to give, and there would be this equality amongst the group, amongst the churches, so that no church was struggling to be able to bless their community, to be able to provide for the needs that were in their communities. But thanks be to God... Who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So he's basically saying there, we're bringing people along with us who have been appointed by the churches, who have been affirmed by the churches, who are well spoken of by the churches, so that as we handle this generous gift by you, no one can say that we took it on our own accord or that we took it on our own, um, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Our own gain or our own greed or our own. He's basically saying we've provided reproach around ourselves so that we can be above reproach in receiving this gift from the church. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since this last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. 
But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I should say, or as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So this is very important here. What he's basically trying to teach the church is you have said to us that you want to provide a great gift to partner in the ministry of seeing the gospel continue to spread. Because of that earnest desire, there's ways in which, there's instruction in which you can give. So he's going to send brothers ahead in order to get to the churches in Macedonia to be able to teach and instruct them on how they can come about gathering. This gets into, and this would be more in like, Going to the people and saying, how much should we give? How much should you tithe? How much should you, if you have debt or this and that? He's, he's going there in order to ultimately get to the people to teach them, this is how you can ultimately be generous with your gift so that they have enough time within their own conscience, within their own trusting in the Lord, within their own relationship with Christ, as they're abiding in Him and seeing His generosity towards them, they're able to prayerfully determine a generosity that they can then give back to the mission and ministry of the church so that when they show up, it's all already gathered. And then they're able to give it to the apostles who will then continue on in their mission. He wants to come and instruct them so that when they get there, they're not just kind of like stumbling over, hey, we want to be generous, but we don't know how. That way they're ready when he arrives. This is then how he then instructs them. This is really for us where the rubber meets the road. Yes, we want to give. And I can stand up here and, and, and say kind of on two sides of it. One is that I need to repent publicly before you that we have not taught on giving enough. I think we, in, in the, the lifespan of our church, we've had one sermon, and it was within a sermon, kind of a sub-point of the sermon, anything about tithing, anything about giving, anything about generosity. And, and I repent of that because if we were a church that was loving people well in community, do you think we should never teach about community? We still need to teach about it. If we're a church that's growing in gospel conversations, out in the public, do we then not need to teach about gospel conversations in the public anymore? No, we still need to teach and instruct that. Do we need to teach and instruct what marriage looks like, what raising kids looks like? Absolutely. If the Bible teaches it, we need to teach it. And we need to do a better job of teaching it. We need to do a consistent job of teaching it. So our discipleship from the pulpit of giving and generosity has been lacking. And for that, we apologize but one of the reasons, and I'll put this on you, the reason that we haven't is because you have been very generous as a church. And I'll even say, like, and this isn't for you to kind of like, all right, we'll, we'll take a break for a while. But, um, but because the, the national average, the way that churches kind of rank whether or not a church is giving or, or how they measure it is what they call giving per head per week. So they take a, a tithe per week. Whatever's collected that week, based on the attendance of that week, and they then just divide them. And that's giving per head per week. 
the national average of churches giving is $23 per person per week. That's the national average. The national average of church plants that give per head per week is like $13. Um, because churches tend to be younger people who don't have money. Our church, to date, collectively, have been averaging giving $37 per head per week. So we've been well above the average of church planting, and we've been well above the average of churches. So we've just kind of always said, our people get it. They're generous, and we've been blessed by that. So we, we've not felt the, the strain of, man, they're not operating in something that is, that is a God-given generosity, that is a God-given blessing, and so maybe we just don't need to teach on it because they're doing it. But again, that is a fault of ours, and so we are correcting it. Not saying that we're going to teach on tithing every single week, but we're going to look for the more opportunities as we continue to walk through Scripture of what that looks like so that we can just continue to instruct our people well. So, they send instruction. Here's the instruction that they send. Chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This is, this is Jesus fulfilling this. Jesus is the one who distributes freely. Jesus is the one who is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Jesus is the one who perfectly embodied what generosity looks like. Therefore, because he now lives within us who are believers, we are able to be freed to live in this exact same way in which Jesus lives. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. But by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And I've got, and I know I've got a short amount of time here, but there's really, in these last few verses, seven points that truly instruct us on what it looks like to give. And the first one is, is that they give generously. They give generously. If you want to grasp giving, read just read those chapters again and again and again and just continue to see how generous the people were in Macedonia to want to, above and beyond their means, give. The second thing that they wanted to do was that they wanted to give cheerfully. He instructs them to give cheerfully. There's a reward for giving, but it's dependent upon a heart free from a lust for the temporal rewards of this earth. 
So the reason why oftentimes we struggle to give and we have that tension of this hurts to write this check or this hurts to, to key in the information on our giving platform online and then send it off that way because it's really the main way that we give. It's hard for us to do that at times because of the love that we have for whatever that amount of money could have been purchased. That's why the tension is there for us is because we have a greater love for how we could have used that money for our own personal gain rather than the generosity we have to give that money towards the mission of God and seeing others come to know Christ. That's a tension that we wore within ourselves. And it's okay to feel the tension as long as you do something about the tension. We're not asking for begrudging givers. It says God loves a cheerful giver. So if there's something within your life that is robbing you of being able to cheerfully give, what we are instructing you to do is bring that to the Lord. Lord, why is it hard for me to give this money cheerfully? What is it that's robbing me of that blessing to be cheerful in this moment because of something else that I would prefer to spend that money on? What's, making, what's robbing me of that abiding in Christ relationship? Don't compound your eternal internal sin with an external sin. Give sacrificially is the third one. This is probably the most underappreciated and underapplied principle for Christian giving today. Because this one truly does inconvenience us. This is different than the giving cheerfully. It hurts because of a sin that we have of, of tying that money to something that's temporal. This one is more of a giving sacrificially, knowing that, that I might not be able to afford this generosity. And, and this, this flows into all kinds of, of kind of side conversations. Is this saying that I should not pay my mortgage because I want to give it to the church and I want to bless? I want to be a part of God's mission, so I'm just not going to abide by? No, there's, there's instructions in Scripture that give to who we owe money to. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Make sure that you take care of, of those things that we are obliged to take care of, that we are obligated to take care of. But at the same time, there are going to be ways in which we then, with the rest of our money, that we work it out in such a way that we are going to be sacrificial. This might be a vacation that we don't take this year because we want to be generous with this money. It's going to hurt us in a way that is sacrificing something that would actually be good for us. But we're going to restrain from that. This is kind of like fasting. Food's good for us. But we're going to fast from it in order to spend that time in prayer to the Lord. Because we want, to, we want, we want that type of food coming to us rather than something that's still temporal. So what is something that we can sacrifice that might still be good for us to use that money towards, but rather we give to God and his mission? As it says in 1 John 3, 16 through 17, the apostle exhorts the church to care for brothers in need as an overflow and implication of the gospel love that was given to them. Think about Jesus' sacrifice to us. 
I mean, he, he could have stayed in heaven. But yet he laid aside his throne in order to come to earth and take on the form of a bondservant. So he, he, he basically went from, I'm at the highest to the lowest. I'm sacrificing this for a season in order to become this so that I can bless people who will then be able to come up here with me and reign alongside of me as we are co-heirs. Think about that. You're, you're sacrificing a personal gain or wealth in order to distribute that to someone else to be able to then bring them up to the place of your own gain and wealth, your own privilege and, 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 and status within the gospel community of who Jesus Christ is and what he blesses out and what he ultimately provides for us forever. The next one is give spontaneously. A heart freed by the gospel does not wait for opportunities to give. It intentionally seeks them out. Give spontaneously. So, we're, so what we're talking about give spontaneously is don't just wait for the Sunday tithe. Don't just wait for us to email out, here's a need, figure it out. But be on the lookout for needs around you. Be on the lookout for ways in which you can bless those around you. Whether it's providing them a gift card to be able to go out on a date because you've seen that within their relationship or within their marriage, maybe there's some, there's some strife going on, there's some struggle going on. Now, if you receive a gift card, don't immediately assume that people think you're messed up in your relationship, but just take the blessing and go to Logan's or something. I don't know. But gospel generosity gives to those who are in need. It gives to those who are in need. Give regularly. Though we should give as need arises, we should also be consistent and disciplined in giving. Giving is linked with prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Do we only do those when we're in time of need? Or should those be consistent, disciplined things that we do because God is disciplining us in order for us to receive Him more often? Like when God tells us, I want you to pray more. I want you to be disciplined in your prayer. He's not just giving us a list of things to do to be a good Christian. What he's ultimately saying is, I, I, I want to communicate with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. I want you to experience more of me. That's not heavy-handed from God when he's telling us to be more consistent and doing something regularly, that's a grace, that's an act of grace from God towards us. So when he's talking about generosity and telling us to be regu uh, to, to, to regularly give with generosity in mind, what he's ultimately saying is, hey, remember those times of prayer that I'm very intimate with you? I don't want that only for you. I want that for those who are around you. And one of the ways in which I get to those who are around you is by the generosity of you to them so that you are then going to them with the blessings that I've provided for you so that as you are blessing them, you're introducing them to me 
And now I'm able to interact in a relationship with them, providing for them the greatest need that they have ever had. A savior. So not only is the generosity producing within us a cheerful giver that it's good for us to act in this, but it's also good for those around us who are receiving it at ultimately on behalf of God, wanting to bless them and interact with them and be in relationship with them. And he does that through us. So the more we do that regularly, the more people around us, needs will be met and for them to come to know Jesus. Give secretly. I don't think Jesus necessarily intends for us to like sign Christmas cards and like, you know, John Doe, like not letting people know that you've done something for them. But this just comes back to motivation and intent. Again, this is not walking around waving in the air how much I give to the church or how generous I am to the church. Because again, someone who has $10 and someone who has $1,000 and the person who has $10 that gives $1 and the person who has $1,000 who gives $100, it's the same when it comes to, to, to the, uh, what they were willing to give, sacrificing to give, it's the same. So it doesn't matter how much at the end of the day, what matters is when it comes down to your conscience and working it out with you and the Lord, when you're giving... Man, just be excited between you and the Lord that you're able to give what you're giving. And that we don't have to brag about it to other people, that we don't have to flaunt it around other people, that we don't have to... I mean, this is... And, and you see this... I mean, it's, I still think the Midwest and the South religiously are very similar. But yeah, this is in the South where I used to hear this all the time. Like, because I give this, I own this part of the church. <laughs> like, that's true, guys. People said stuff like that. Or like there's the person where it's like, I donated the land for the church to build on it. Automatically, for some reason, makes them like a, a forever pastor or like right to the deeds of the land. Or like whatever the color of the carpet is, they have full say over because they're the ones who gave the grass. Like it's, it's just so weird to me that we tie our involvement within the church based on what we give to the church. How much pull or power we're ultimately coming at. And what, what he's ultimately saying here is, like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Like, don't be tied to what you give as if you're buying something from the church. You're not. Because at the end of the day, what God's ultimately saying is, is everything you have is mine. I'm loaning it to you. And that's Everything. Your spouse, your kids, the money, the bank account, the cars, the house, all of it is his. And so he's, he's blessed us with all of it to steward, to invest, and how we are investing it is ultimately what matters. So do it secretly, in the sense of do it humbly, not pridefully. And the last one is give thankfully. Grace, an act of grace, is the basis for gratitude. It's the basis for gratitude. As those who have received grace, we should gratefully extend it to others. We should gratefully extend it to others. To whom do believers give? Five things that we have seen in Scripture, in the New Testament, as you kind of cycle through it and figure it out. Disciple a word? I don't know. 
Um, but you, I think you get the point. Uh, number one is they gave to their local church. Number two, they gave to their spiritual family. Number three, they gave to their biological family. Number four, they gave to their neighbors, their community. And number five, they gave to their enemies. So when we think about generosity, we're, we are not just thinking about how much money should I give to the church. We're talking how do we, looking at what Jesus has done in his life, and just look at his life, how he spent his time, who he spent his time with. He didn't just spend it with 12 guys walking around and providing them lunch in different random places so that he gave to them, but that he also goes to a woman at the well and gives of his time. And as she's trying to give him temporal water, he's saying, I'm going to give you eternal water. As he's going to Zacchaeus, who has robbed people and has produced a wealth in himself, Jesus says, I'm going to, as I'm walking into the city and they're receiving me with loud shouts of praise, I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to go to Zacchaeus, who's been robbing these people, and I'm going to give my time to him and the people that he brings to his house so that I can bless them. In such a way that then what does Zacchaeus do? Everybody that I've robbed, man, I have got to go and be generous to them. Enemies. I have got to go and be generous to them. I've got to pay them back everything that I've taken from them. It produces generosity to the fact that we give to those around us. So now it starts thinking through, okay, yeah, maybe if I come to a place where I give 6% to the church, or I give 10% to the church, or man, we're really blessed with, we don't have a lot of debt, we don't have a lot of bills, we can give 20% to the church. Great, that's fantastic. Work that out between you and the Lord. Much more beyond that, are you still stewarding your resources to where you are free from materialism to be able to then give at any time as you see need to brothers and sisters within the church, to family as they are in need, to your neighbors in your community around you as the need arises, and ultimately, enemies. Those who are completely against what you stand for, who you are as a person. Are you at a place where you can bless them in some way or another? That you can give to them. The gospel compels us to give. It confronts our fleshly tendencies toward greed, control, comfort, and convenience. The gospel informs how we are to be generous. And we trust the gospel. We trust Jesus. We love what Jesus has come to do for us. Now, let's start working on the love that we have that now Jesus is doing through us. What is the gospel doing through us? So that we stop worrying about what the number is going to be. But we start looking more at the need around us. And how can we begin working and stewarding our resources to meet those needs rather than only our own? Forget the tithe. Are you giving generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, spontaneously, regularly, secretly, 
and thankfully. And if not, why not? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your generosity to us. God, you, as a father, have given more than anybody. You gave your son, Jesus. That's sacrificial love. That's generous love. And you regularly give us your Holy Spirit every single day to testify to our souls that we are children of you, to preach to our hearts assurance of faith, assurance of the gospel. God, you give. And we are so thankful for your giving to us, your act of grace towards us. And God, we just ask as a church, as a body of believers, as the Macedonians were asking, Lord, we, we have this desire within us because of your son Jesus. We have this desire to be generous. Lord, continue to instruct us on what it looks like to be generous. What it looks like to free ourselves of our own temporal, fleshly desires to break the chains of, of those materialistic ideology. And let's move towards grace, generously giving to others as you have, as you have blessed us. Father, produce that within us. Cheerful givers. Because of your delight in us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we close, as we come to the Lord's table, um, it, it always works out the best way. <laughs> because this is him giving sacrificially towards us. That he didn't just come and, hey, here's some money to, to, to figure some things out pay your light bills, whatnot. No, he came and he said, these are temporal issues that you have. There's a greater eternal issue that you have and it's sin. And I'm going to come pay the penalty for that. I'm going to be so generous that there is nothing left that you owe. I'm going to break my body. I'm going to shed my blood on your behalf. You don't owe anything he gives it all. He gave his life so that we would have life. So in this act of grace that Jesus gave to us, let's worship him as we partake of communion together as a body of believers, thanking him, worshiping him. Jesus, you are good. You are gracious. You are generous. Thank you. So let's partake of communion together. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at